Well, let's, uh, let's express to uh, Ryan our appreciation for him uh, willing to worship today. Thank you, Ryan. So over the summer, I had the privilege of doing the premarital counseling for Ryan and his now wife, Macy. Um, uh, Pastor Kent was on sabbatical, so he asked me if I'd do the premarital counseling. So I did all the heavy lifting. He got the fun of doing the wedding, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, Ryan and Macy are recently married, and it's really nice to have him here. Uh, Pastor Ryan is up at the retreat. Our backup, Cody, is up at the retreat, and uh, about half of our band is up there, too, so we're glad that they were having a Sunday. Actually, they weren't having a Sunday off. They were leading worship up, up there. So uh, anyway, it's great to have, uh, uh, have Ryan with us here today. Well, I'd like to invite you, if you will, to extend your hands uh, like this in a posture of receptivity uh, as we uh, approach the Word of God. Uh, Father, uh, this is your word. It's not the words of man, but it's the word of God breathed by the Spirit of God. And Lord, our prayer is now that um, each and every one of us will have our hearts and um, our minds and our souls open to your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to receive your word with um, faith, I pray, Father, that the Word of God would spread around this congregation and do its work among us. I pray that the Spirit of God would impress upon us this Word and encourage us to live lives that are faithful in our lives that are filled with grace. We love you, and we thank you, Father, for your great grace. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, with all of, uh, uh, with 40 plus guys up at the men's retreat, I can report to those of you who husbands and sons and fathers are there that when I left, there were no significant injuries. Okay. Uh, but I can't speak for what's happened the last, uh, uh, you know, uh, 24 hours. But uh, when I left, uh, every, everybody was still good. But there's something wonderful about... Um, being a retreat with men who love God and love each other and are wanting to grow in their faith and embrace Jesus in new ways, it was just a fantastic opportunity to be there. It's one of those things that um, are difficult for me because it's one of those lasts, you know, last men's retreat. Um, and and it, it's just very, uh, very emotional, but it was just great being with the guys there. And I can tell you that your husbands and your fathers are having a great time, and they're really pressing into the Lord, and that's, uh, that's our desire. So uh, again, I want to welcome you all, especially if you're new today. Uh, we are rapidly approaching the end of this series, Christian or Disciple, um, and we have one more week, uh, one more installment. That's uh, next Lord's Day, and uh, today the title of the message is Loophole Christians. Now, I know none of you are loophole Christians, but uh, we'll see in a few minutes, right, whether you fit in that category or not. But it reminds me of the story of one of the 20th century's most prodigious sinners. Uh, his name was W.C. Fields. Uh, he was in, uh, in the early, in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, he was in vaudeville and then silent movies and then talkies and a uh, very famous entertainer. Um, he was a womanizer, a boozer. Uh, if you knew of a sin, uh, he was familiar with it. And uh, 
So he was, that was his persona, that was his life. So one day he was in his dressing room, and a friend of his came into the dressing room, and he saw W.C. Field sitting there with his uh, classic cigar in one hand, and his feet up on the desk, and a Bible open on his lap. And it shocked his friend. He said, what are you doing reading the Bible? And he looked up at his friend with a cigar, and he said, I'm just looking for loopholes. <laughs> How many times have we, as Christians, looked for loopholes? You know, kind of a, a workaround. Well, if, um, okay, the Bible says that's, that's a sin, but, but if, if I do it this way, uh, is, it, is it still okay for me to do that? Or, um, you know, I, I know that I probably shouldn't be doing that, but if I do it under these circumstances, is, is it okay for me to do that then? These are loopholes, and we all are very familiar with loopholes. It's a get around, getting around a law or a requirement, and it comes naturally to most of us. I mean, our children, are, we're, we're raising little loophole Christians as children. Like, for instance, uh, if your child comes up to you, be careful how you ask questions of your children, okay? When you say, did you wash your hands? Well, in a child's mind, of course I did, three days ago. You know? And so they say, yes. Uh, or did you wash your hands with soap? Again, yeah, four days ago I did. So be careful. Did you wash your hands within the last 30 seconds with soap in the bathroom? Okay, because if you don't ask questions like that, you're going to make loophole children. And we don't want loophole children. Officer, uh, the sign said, no skateboards. I only brought one, so, uh, you know, that's okay. So we're always looking for loopholes. We love them. All religious people love loopholes. Every religion, now, in Christianity, we have this book we call the Bible. But every religion has a book or a document or a list. And uh, the book or the document or the list describes about our religion and how we're supposed to live our lives. And then there's such a thing as uh, theologians. Now, I, in my life, I went to seminary, and I've always thought myself kind of a, an amateur theologian. And theologians are ones who interpret what the book or the document says to others because they assume that we're not smart enough to read it ourselves and understand it. So... So we have these theologians, and theologians are what we would call interpreters. They interpret it. Well, the Bible says, um, honor the Sabbath. Okay, now the Sabbath, first of all, in the ancient uh, Jewish culture was Saturday. Now we honor the Lord's Day, according to Acts chapter 20, the day that Jesus was resurrected. We honor. So how do we honor the Lord's Day? It says honor the Sabbath. So what we do is we find all kinds of ways to obey that law and still have a get around, okay? So as long as I honor the Lord from 10.15 or 10.45 to noon, the rest of the day I can do whatever I want. Or as long as I um, don't watch too much football, I'm still honoring the Lord. And so we have all of these kind of loopholes and these get arounds. And we love these loopholes. And we love our interpreters. If you grew up uh, Catholic, uh, you had a great loophole. Uh, it was called confession. And it was awesome. I, I, I was very jealous of my Catholic friends growing up. Because you have this bucket, and you put all of your sins in the bucket, and then on Saturday night or whenever you go to confession, you get to dump the, dump the bucket out, and it's completely empty. And you get to start all over again with life. So I, lo I, I was very jealous of my Catholic friends. But I, as a little evangelical boy growing up, I had my own uh, loophole. 
And my loophole, even though it's true and I love it, was my loophole was a verse. 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's a true statement and it's true of me and it's true of you. That is the truth, but we can use that truth as a loophole, can't we? Well, it doesn't matter how I live it doesn't matter what I do, as long as I, when I'm done, I pray that prayer, I, I quote that verse, and God's going to cleanse me. And, and here's the kicker on that verse that we loved, and we love, right? The kicker is this, God doesn't remember our sins. Isn't that awesome? That's a kicker. So as, as, as disciples, as those who follow Jesus, we say, that's awesome. But as Christians, Christians say, okay, there's a loophole there. There's a get around. Um, I can live, do whatever I want, and as long as I throw out the prayer, I'm covered, okay? So let me, uh, let me just back up a minute and tell those of you who are new today about uh, the premise of this series. The premise is this. There's a difference between Christians and disciples. Christians, you can define whatever you want to be a Christian. And here's why. Because the Bible doesn't define it. In fact, the Bible doesn't even use the term Christian only three times, and all three times in a derogatory way. So the Bible never defines the word Christian or its derivatives, Christianity, Christendom. Okay, so Christian can mean, I believe in God. A Christian can mean, I believe in Jesus. A Christian can mean, I believe in some parts of the Bible, and other parts I don't believe in. I'm a Christian because I'm an American. It can mean all sorts of things, but a disciple has a very narrow meaning. A disciple is someone who says yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to talk like Jesus talks. I want to think like Jesus thinks. I want to live like Jesus lives. I want to be a follower of Jesus. So loophole Christians are people who are always looking for an edge, a get around. Well, you know, teenagers say, well, you know, I'm, I'm told I'm not supposed to have sex. The Bible's clear about that. So what about first base? What about second base? You know, you're always looking for, that's what Christians do. They look for loopholes. We have other brothers and sisters who are what we would call liberal Christians, go to different churches that aren't as conservative or as evangelical as us. And their get around is something really cool. It's this, uh, we don't believe Jesus actually said that or we don't believe Paul actually said. So that's a nice loophole. You know, if there's something you don't like, well, you know, we don't think historically Jesus actually said that. We love, let's admit it, we love loopholes. I remember years ago, um, I was talking to a, a young woman, part of our church in Denver. And she came to me and she said, uh, Pastor Duane, she said, I have a dilemma. I said, what's your dilemma? She said, I... Um, I want to live with my boyfriend. Okay, and I'm thinking to my... Now, I, in those days, I wasn't as full of grace as... I, I, I was much fuller of truth, you know. And I said, well, then why did you come and see me? <laughs> you already know what I believe. I believe the Bible. You know what the Bible says about the holiness and the sanctity of sex and, and marriage and all of that. You, you know what I believe. What, she said, well, I came to you because... Quite honestly, I, I, I love my boyfriend. I want to be with him. She said, and I'm, I'm looking for some kind of a loophole. That's exactly what she said. We're always looking for a loophole, a get around. How can we do what we want to do and still have God's blessing on our life? Here's another example. So uh, how many times have you heard this? Well, the Bible talks about tithing. Okay, tithing is 10% of your income given to the work of the Lord. Okay, 
So uh, how many times have I had people say this to me? You know what? The Bible talks about tithing in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, the word tithing is never used. That's a loophole. I mean, you know exactly what Jesus said about generosity. Yeah, Jesus would have said, no, it's not a matter of tithe. It's a matter of giving 100% of yourself and 100% of your money to the Lord. But I'm just asking you for 10%, you spend 90% however you want. So it's a loophole. Always trying to figure out, well, how can I, and do I give on, do I tithe on the net or the gross? I mean, those are all loophole Christian questions. How can I get by with less than? Now, we always look for these kind of loopholes, but followers of Jesus, disciples, ask a completely different set of questions. Uh, you quit looking for loopholes. You quit looking for workarounds. And, and because you can be a loophole Christian and ask anything. Loophole Christians can find a verse in the Bible to hate with. They can find a verse in the Bible to sleep around with. Well, how do you do that? Well, the woman taken in adultery. Jesus said, uh, I don't condemn you. So people take that, oh, that means mean I can just sleep around and do whatever. No, no, they, read the whole text, read the whole path. But that's what loophole Christians do. They take one verse and they prove how we can go to war with that verse. We take one verse and we prove how we can be mean-spirited to same-sex relationship people. And we take one verse and we say, oh, this is how we can, we can actually justify the civil war. Okay, we can justify slavery. We just take a verse, and, we, and this is loophole Christians, always finding a workaround to satisfy what you believe and what you think ought to be right. A few years ago, I did a series uh, on, on a summer series on hot topics. And I, I stuck my neck out there because, you know, you talk about topics like, uh, uh, is war ever justified? Uh, things like that. Um, and one of the hot topics, as you would expect, was homosexuality or same-sex relationships. And so I, I, I preached what the Word of God said, and I did it with grace and with love. But say, this is God's best for you, and uh, this is what God says, and how He wants you to live a great life, and here's the sanctity of marriage and all of that. So I preached all of that. And then what I, I really hammered away at this idea that be very careful about being a judge around this subject. Because in the same list of things, when it talks about the same-sex relationship thing as not being God's best, it talks about uh, idolatry. And it talks about um, uh, other kinds of sin like pride and boasting and greed and, and, uh, and uh, rumors and innuendos. All of those things are in the same list. So be very careful of the log in your own eye when you're talking about those kinds of things. You know, because we have these super sins and then we always see our sins as small sins. Nope, they're just sins, right? It is all the same. So after the service, <laughs> the first service, I saw this couple in the back. They're obviously new. Uh, they had their, you know, 40-pound King James Bible and they had steam coming out of their ears. And they come marching up to the front of the church. Pastor, we want to talk to you. We want to talk to you. Say, look what it says about it. this is an abomination and people are going to go to hell. And, the, and I thought to myself, whoa, you need to find a different church. Because this is a church is based on the whole word of God, not just a verse that you pick out and jump on and use as a hammer on somebody. And I talked about, listen, this is what we, this is what we, this is about love and grace and about people seeing how much you love them and so that they ask you why. And so they come to this relationship with Jesus because the goodness of God draws men to repentance, not the hammer of God. And all of this, and this is what, we, and, and, and they said, well, this is wrong and you should be hammering in these people. They're the ones that carry the placards, you know, that, you know, says all, you know, turn or burn. You know, they're, they're the ones that do that. And, and I said, you know what? I can give you a, a recommendation about four churches I know where you'd be really welcome. 
because they'd love you, you know, because they love to preach against. You know how it's interesting? In the Bible, there's almost no preaching against. There's preaching for. There's pushing toward. You, know, you want a great life? Here's the commandments. Here's the way that you can live your life. You want an awesome life? Here's the path to go on. And, and so we have to be very careful about being loophole Christians. Disciples ask a completely different set of questions. One of the questions disciples ask is this. Okay, I, I understand the commandment, what the commandment says. Honor your mother and father, you know, keep the Sabbath day holy. I understand the commandment, but what was the intent of the commander? What did the author, God, mean by what he said? That's interpretation. That's understanding God's word. What is the intent of the commander? And when you recognize that the intent of the commander was always one thing above everything else, and that was love for his people and good things for his people, if you understand the intent of the commander was that, it makes you come at this question a whole different way. You're not a loophole Christian. You're a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so these uh, Jewish leaders, Christ comes uh, the first century, the Jewish leaders have taken the Ten Commandments and they had turned them into thousands of commandments to help you explain the commandments. They had no idea. For instance, the, the, the honoring the Sabbath. They had gone to the place where Jesus, uh, God said, honor the Sabbath in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath. Okay, make that day set apart. The word honor or uh, sanctify means set apart. Put a special use for that, okay? Honor the Sabbath. Here's what they came up with. They said, on Saturday, the Pharisees said, you can't walk more than 30 feet. Because if you do, you're working. On Saturday, you can't cook a meal. On Saturday, you can't pick a grape off of a grapevine if you're hungry, hungry because that's working. Do you see how ridiculous these traditions came? And these were laws upon laws upon laws, and they completely disregarded the intent of the commander, the intent of the heart of God. So we come to the uh, uh, the, the, these uh, Pharisees. And they only cared about, you know, what are you doing with our traditions? What are you doing with our commandments? And so we come, uh, we find these, all these rules in place, and then we turn to Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at these, uh, this text this morning, Matthew 15, 1 through 7. And at this point, uh, as you're turning your Bibles, I want to say to you what? Read your Bible. Okay, you need to say that louder. Okay, read your Bible, because uh, if you hear nothing else today from me, your life is going to be transformed by the power of the Word of God if you read your Bible. You'll never be transformed by dust, okay? I've tried it, okay? You know, if dust is on your Bible, you'll never be transformed by that. Read your Bibles. <laughs> Up at retreat, I came in late last night from the bonfire, and several guys were already in their bunks sleeping, and a couple guys had their flashlights or their reading lights on, and one guy out of the darkness said, I'm reading my Bible. Okay, so no, no. that's all good. I love that. So Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 7, the context here, the, the Pharisees are always trying to trick Jesus uh, by telling him, listen, what really matters is the commands. And what Jesus is constantly saying, no, what really matters is the heart of the commander. Why did he give you those laws? Did he give them to make you small, to make your world small, to step on you if you're having fun? No, he gave you those laws so that you could have a path of life that will lead to richness and beauty and success and prosperity and everything else. If you want God's way, this is the way. So that was the intent of the commander. But they're always building walls. They had the midrash that explained what the laws meant, thousands of them, 
And it was all just really, really, really ridiculous. So Matthew chapter 15, that's the context. Uh, This is what it says. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Okay, let's stop right there. Is there anything in the Bible that says uh, they don't, you, you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat? No, no. They've made it. Now, by the way, uh, you, can be a, uh, you can be a loophole Christian with your kids, okay? So if they say, why should I wash my hands? They say it's in the Bible, okay? So you're being a loophole Christian, but go ahead and use it. It's, it's fair. With kids, it's, it's, it's all right. So they're saying, okay, so from this law of somehow being clean and living a righteous life, they've come over to this place. Now, there's nothing wrong with washing your hands before a meal, but that's not the commandment of God, okay? It's just common sense. And so they had taken this and made this a tradition. And now, why do your disciples break this law? Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And they're going, huh? We're the religious people. You can't talk to us like that. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Let me pause right there. Now, what was happening is the Pharisees were so full of themselves and so religious that they believed that nothing mattered except their religion and their their kind of connection with God. And so if they, if they had a thread, that, a gold thread that was missing on their beautiful robe that they wore to worship, they would replace that thread to the extent that they would never take care of their parents. That's what the Pharisees did. Now, why was it important to take care of your parents in those days? Much more even important than it is today. Because very simply, older people had no resources. They had no pension. They had no social security. They had no money. They had nothing. And so if your kids don't take care of you, you're going to die. And so the Pharisees were so concerned about how they looked, how they dressed, how, the, how we use our money for God and all that, that they absolutely missed the heart of the commander with that command. You see how that worked? So let's pick it up from there. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and, any, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. I'm going to give that money. Instead of helping you find a nice place to live, I'm going to give that money to God. What a crock. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And he says this, and say it out loud. You hypocrites. By the way, the next time somebody says to you, well, I'm not going to go to church because it's filled with hypocrites, here's your answer. Yes, it is. I go there, but there's still seats available for you. Okay, let's go. Let's just be honest. We're all hypocrites, so let's just put that to, to rest. So here's this amazing story, how that they're coming at him with this tradition, and Jesus said, that has nothing to do with anything. Let me tell you about a law that really does matter, how you take care of your parents, how you love your parents until they're in the grave, how you really minister to them. And you've completely ignored that for something that tradition upon tradition upon tradition, you've ignored the true word of God. He said, you nullify the word of God. Here's the bottom line. Jesus doesn't want us using God's words to avoid doing God's will. How many times have loophole Christians done that? Jesus doesn't want us using God's words to avoid doing God's will. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about tithing in the New Testament. Therefore, I'm going to go to the casino. You know what? You're using God's word that doesn't even say that to avoid doing God's will. A workaround. 
loophole Christians. Have you ever known an angry Christian? Well, of course we have. Have you ever been an angry Christian? Well, we confess that's the case as well. Usually angry Christians are those who believe that what they believe is more important than what God has said. Let me give you an example. Uh, when I was a youth pastor years ago, a woman in our church, uh, her name was Peggy, I had a daughter my age. I was just, I, at the time, I was like 20, 21 years old, working with the youth uh, as uh, just a college student. And um, her daughter, Susan, was a friend of mine, and Susan was away to college. And her, she, told her, uh, she told her mother uh, that she was dating this really nice guy, a really good Christian guy. Really? Send us a picture of him. Big mistake. This is back in the 1960s. He was a black man. And Susan, and, and Susan loved this guy. And he was a wonderful, I, I met him, he's a wonderful guy. And, uh, and, and Peggy came to me and she was furious. She was, she was, she was one of those angry Christians. She said, do you, do you know what my, my daughter's doing? She's, in, you know, she's all excited. She said, and the Bible says very clearly, that the Bible says very clearly that you're not to be unequally yoked. And I said, what? What are you talking about? You know, the Bible does say that. It says, do not be unequally yoked with what? With unbelievers. She thought somehow she was a loophole Christian. She was looking for a loophole, some way to convince her daughter that she was doing something wrong. She said, well, well what, about, what about Moses? Moses married a Moabite woman who was a black woman, and God wouldn't let her, him into the promised land. I went, what? Who's reading this Bible? Again, using Bible verses out of context to prove her way. Yes, true. He did marry a Moabite woman. Yes, she was a black woman. And yes, he wasn't able to go to the promised land. Completely unrelated subjects. One had nothing to do with the other. That's a loophole Christian. How does this happen? Well, we want the Bible to be used as a weapon. Our authority. What's interesting is that these sins that are so big change every generation, right? They change every generation. So when I was uh, in high school and college, the big sins that were talked about were um, divorce and drinking. Okay, those are the biggies, you know, and in the church I grew up in, they'd preach on those things every week and, and make all the, you know, people that divorced feel like they were zeros and make all the people who drank do it in private and secret and, and it was really a mess. But you know what? Fast forward to 2015 and even those are still societal things that we need to look at and everything, the church isn't talking about them. The church isn't talking about it. Well, first of all, drinking, the Bible never says you're not supposed to drink. So let's, I, I've never been a drinker. That's never been a, something I've done. But it's not because it's a biblical conviction. It's because it's more of a personal conviction. And, uh, but the Bible never says don't drink. It just says do it in moderation. So how do we get goofed up around these things? Because we want our beliefs to be the hammer that makes everybody else conform to us. Same thing with doors. Well, today we have other kind of sins of the month or sins of the year. Uh, these days, it's women in ministry, which our denomination and our church is very clear on that we believe that women are gifted for ministry and should be used in ministry, and this same-sex marriage thing. And these are the sins that everybody wants to talk about now. Everybody's buzzing about these things. Well, you know what? 30 years from now, it'll be something else. And I'll tell you why. Because we're always looking for a loophole. How do we get around something? How do we not deal with something that we don't want to deal with? Every generation, we pick and choose our sins. Jesus comes along and says, listen, just for a moment, 
I want you to forget the commands and think about the commander. I want you to forget, you know, the things that were said, all the Ten Commandments and all the things that go around that. Not that they're wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just you guys are, don't ever keep them. Uh, he said, so I want you to, but for a minute, just don't think about the commands. I want you to think about the heart of the commander. And then this is the way that Jesus described that. And we've used this passage every passage, every week for the last seven weeks, John 13, 34, and 35. You need to memorize this passage because this, everything hinges on this. Listen to this. A new command I give you, Jesus is speaking, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It doesn't say you might or pick and choose. You must love one another. All men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Put this on the top of your list. Put this above your doctrine and your theology. Put this above what you think is right and wrong. Put this above everything else. When you put this on the top, everything else seems to fall into place. Because what I want to do, when I love Jesus so much and when I love other people so much, I don't want to be disobedient to the word. I don't want to do the things the Bible says are going to hurt me. I don't, but I don't do them because it's a burden. I don't do them because I want to love Jesus and love like he loves. Love each other the way I have loved you, Jesus said. Put this on top of your theology, on top of your interpretation, on top of your doctrines, on top of your, this is the way I think you should do it, or this is the way I think you ought to do it. This is so cool to me. I I mean, this took hold in the first century. The first century, for the first 300 years, it was all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins and my sins that he's resurrected on the third day, that he sits at the right hand of the Father. One day he's going to return again. The pure gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the pure gospel, and that gospel was delivered to one person at a time, and it was always delivered with the same delivery system, and it was always love. Christians had no political clout. They had no financial uh, leverage. They had none of those things. All they had was one thing, and that was the love of Jesus in their hearts. Here, this is the good news of God's reconciling love for you. I want to give this to you. I know you're a broken. I know your life doesn't fit, fit very well. I know you're unhappy. I know you don't think God really exists, but this is the good news of Jesus Christ. And this, they were so effective in delivering this ministry for 300 years that the world was turned upside down, literally, Acts chapter 4. The world was turned upside down. The gospel of Jesus Christ got into every nation in the world in the first 300 years because they delivered it one way. And then in the third century, everything changed. They started making it religion. They started making it loopholes. They started making it Christianity instead of disciples. And for the next 1,700 years, we have got this message so backwards. I can't even believe how the church has done this so poorly. So we either deliver the message, we'll hold up a sign, turn or burn. And like I told you last Sunday, the sign that was held up uh, in Kentucky, faggots go to hell. What kind of a delivery system is that? How is that ever going to help anybody come to faith in Jesus Christ when they see that kind of anger, that kind of vitriol, that kind of unfairness, that kind of hatred? When the gospel is not delivered with love, it's not delivered well. Paul. Now, Jesus spoke these words, John 13, 35, and 34 and 35. 25 years later, Paul confirmed them, and James, and Peter, and John. Every one of them confirmed the same message. This is what Paul said in Romans 13, 8. He was writing a letter to the Romans. He said this, let no debt remain outstanding. Okay, that's kind of a Dave Ramsey quote, you know, let no, let no debt remain outstanding, except 
a continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man, what has fulfilled the law? (laughs) Huh? What? The Pharisees said, fulfilled the law. We've got thousands of things that are trying to help us get to figure out how to fulfill the law. And you're telling the law has been fulfilled? How's that happen? It happened in Jesus. Well, what was, how, did, what, how did he do that? He did that with a message of love. He fulfilled the law. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So in the story that I told you last week in Luke 15, uh, all the sinners and the um, uh, tax collectors were gathered around Jesus. Remember that? They're pressing in on Jesus. So he was teaching, and all these people were kind of pressing in, and the front row. The front rows always, and these people here, they know that they're sinners. That's why they're up in the front row, okay? Some of the people in the back, you think you're religious. No, that's not true. That's true of other churches, not this church. People in the back think they're religious. They got it all together. These people, they know exactly they need Jesus, and they need him desperately, and they are, they're pressing in. That was the sinners and the uh, tax collectors. The Pharisees were way back in the back of the room like this. What's he going to say now? What about, what about our traditions? What about our religion? You know, and they're always working. And so they're pressing in there, and, 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 and here's, and here's what, what happens when they're pressing in. These people are hungry for Jesus. They're not too concerned about the commands and all of that, but they're hungry for a word that will give them life. Jesus said, if you love each other, that fulfills the law. And then we read in Romans 13, 9, and 10 following, it says these. This is a shocker to the Pharisees. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, you've got a long list, each one of us do, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many times does Jesus and Paul and Peter and John and James have to say this for us to get the message? It's not about our theology and our doctrine. It's about how are we going to deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ with love for people? Love each other. Love the world. Love your enemies. Love those that are different from you. Love, love, love. How are we going to do that? This is the truth that Jesus gave to us and was confirmed by Paul and John and everyone else. See, let me tell you what this means. It means that every day I want to wake up and I want to look over at my life my wife, and I say, how, how, can I, how can I love you today? Not, okay, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. Every day, how can I love you? I owe a debt because of what Jesus did for me. And every person I look eyeball to eyeball with, I want this teaching, this love, to be the most important thing that they see. Every other verse, every other teaching, every other doctrine, every other standard, all of those things are subservient to the one thing, to love each other the way God has loved us and to love the world the way that God loved us. Do you know how powerful this is? How simplifying and how freeing, how clarifying. I mean, it's hard. It's much easier to be a loophole Christian, always looking for a way out, always looking for a dance around. But this is hard work. I mean, how many times does Jesus have to say that for us to get it? Everything else is secondary to love for God and love for each other. Your theology, your doctrine, your sin of the month, your pet belief, all of them are secondary to God's love for you and your love for him that's expressed in loving each other. In other words, 
please don't any of us dare take a verse or a passage or a story and use it to unlove somebody else. That may be the greatest sin of all. To take a verse, a passage, a story and use it to unlove someone else. Well, does that include everybody? Yes. <laughs> People that are in same-sex relationships, of course. The Muslim next door to me, of course. The road rager, mm-hmm. The person of the pol- a different political persuasion, especially them. <laughs> Jesus said, otherwise, you're just being a hypocrite. Otherwise, you're not doing the one thing, the one thing that I've asked you to do, and that's to love each other the way I love you and to love your enemies as yourself. See, disciples don't look for workarounds and loopholes. Christians do. Religious people do. They're looking for ways to say, uh, instead of, uh, honey, you need to submit to me, because it says in Ephesians 5, you're supposed to submit to me. No, instead they say, honey, how could I serve you today? Sherry and I, for the last couple of years, or last year and a half, we've decided that we want to say that to each other every day. Honey, how can I serve you? Uh, not, um, how can you meet my needs? But honey, how can I serve you? The Bible, the disciples do not use the Bible like a weapon or a mace. They use the Bible like a mirror. That's what James, the brother of Jesus, said when he said this. What does love require of me? Now that's the right question. All the other questions... How can I get away with it? How can I, you know, do this and still be on God's team? How can I live this lifestyle and still be okay with Jesus? Those are all the wrong questions. The one question is this. What does love require of me? In my marriage, with my parents, with my children, with my job, at school, at the gym. What does love require of me? Not simply say, what does the Bible say? But what was the intent, the heart of the author, the commander? And that was always so clear, so clear to love one another as I have loved you. No one here loves the Bible more than I do. But we've been asking the wrong questions. In my marriage, in my relationships, in my job as a pastor, at your school, when you're out on a date, softball team, when you're serving at church, should I have sex with my boyfriend, my girlfriend? The question is always the same question. What does love require of me? In the first service, our teenagers meet um, in that room over there. And one of the things that um, I love about teenagers is they're so real and so honest. Sometimes they're afraid because they don't know what the world's going to bring, but Here's the question that's been asked for generation after generation after generation after generation. I did a, um, um, uh, uh, I was a youth pastor back at Alpine back in the 70s, and I did a camp and for teen- high school students, and the theme of the camp was dating, sex, and marriage. Now, the reason you have a camp like that is because you get a lot of kids turn out for that. Uh, just like you preach on dating, sex, and marriage, then a lot of adults come to church. But so you preached on that, and uh, what I did was, and this is back in the 70s, I asked questions, anonymous, I asked them anonymously to write down questions, and we'd try to answer them as a panel, right, youth pastors? I was shocked and stunned at the questions. Almost all of them were loophole questions. How far can I go? 
This is before Bill Clinton, so we can't blame him, right? How far can I go and still be a Christian? First base? Second base? <laughs> how far can I go? Um, uh, how far can I go and it not actually be sex? Because I want to be honest with my mom and dad and my church and everybody's telling me not to have sex and I, I, I want to be honest with it. So, and all of them were loophole questions. Here, here, here's the answer. Here's the answer that I want our teenagers to be able to say for, with a full heart. And this is when they know how much they've been loved. Okay, here's the answer. A 17-year-old boy says to his girlfriend that something like this. I would never ask you a question that would hurt you. I would never say, if you love me, you will. Here's what I will say, because the question I'm answering is this. What does love require of me? Love requires me that I respect you so much, I would never ask you to give up something as precious as your virginity, ever, until we were married. I love you so much that I would never do something that would help you, that would hurt you or hurt your relationship with your family or hurt your relationship with God or hurt your relationship. I would never do that because love, what love requires of me is that's the way I'm going to come to you as my girlfriend. It's a completely different question. This is not easier. This is harder <laughs> than being a loophole Christian. Disciples move in the direction of people that are not like them. Because that's what Jesus did. We talked about the tax collectors and the Pharisees all crowding in around Jesus. Uh, Excuse me, the tax collectors and the sinners crowding in around Jesus. Uh, They're looking to move closer to Jesus because they're looking at the commander's eyes, not the commands. Now, this will draw you out of your comfort zone. It'll draw you out of your type of people. One of the things that bothers me is I hear so many Christians say, I'm going to keep my kids from everything evil. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) It's impossible. And it's almost like raising hothouse Christian kids. You know, we only church, only Christian school, only this, only that. Keep them away. You know what? We're supposed to be salt and light. How, How are we going to do that if we're never around unbelievers? We need to be like Jesus, and we, he was the one that hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. This is not a compromise, but... This is not abandoning our faith, but this is asking the right question that the gospel asks. And the right question is always this. What does love require of me in my family, with my wife, my children, my job? What does love require of me? Parents, every day you should look your kids in the eye and say, what are you going to do at school today that answers the question, what does love require of me at work? talking about politics, confronted with an angry Muslim. What are you going to do when you ask this question instead of all the other questions about how far can I go, how much can I do? When you ask the question, what does love require of me? Your life will be transformed. Now, let me close with this big question. Aren't you glad that God didn't look for a loophole when it came to his love for you? Because God has a list of a thousand things you've done to disappoint him. 10,000? 100,000? I don't know. How many times have you disappointed God? Aren't you glad that God didn't look for a loophole when it came to his love for you? Instead, he gave you grace upon grace upon grace. He kept loving you even when you were unlovely. He kept being with you even when you didn't want him around. His love never failed.
What does love require of me? That's the question disciples ask. Not how many loopholes or how many get-arounds, but what does love require of me? Well, next week is the last week in this series, and next week I'm going to endeavor through Scripture to answer that question. What does love require of me? The answer is both awful and incredible, and I hope that you'll be back to hear it. Let's bow, bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, um, first of all, we want to confess, I personally, and I'm sure others here, want to confess that we have constantly looked for loopholes of things we can get away with and still be on your team. Things we do that, well, you'll still love us even if we do them. And we, we, we just are sad and sorry that that's the question we've asked so often, is what can we get away with? when the question is always so different, and it's this. What does love require of me? Because Jesus has so profoundly loved me. Because Jesus has so profoundly graced me. What does love look like for my spouse, my children, my friends, my church, my enemies? What does love look like? Father, help us to live into that truth this week. Help us not to forget this phrase. Help us to walk out these doors and be haunted by that question. Every day, every moment, every time we're making a decision, what does love require of me? And may this word be deep in our souls to transform our lives. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.